Hi, this is Tara Marciano. Welcome to today's Ad Law Access podcast. I'm joined today by my colleagues Alex Schneider and Carmen Heinbaugh. Uh, today, uh, we are going to be discussing the ongoing challenges of operationalizing CCPA compliance. Uh, during this episode, we are going to focus broadly on two areas rights requests and vendor agreements. As many of our listeners well know, CCPA compliance is a cross-functional exercise. You know, at the outset of embarking on a CCPA compliance program, you know, companies had to get buy-in from business units across the organization, you know, the IT team, the marketing team, customer service, just to name a few, you know, in order to, in order to get the resources and the funding to do things uh, like data mapping, uh, think about some of the philosophical decisions that the company has to make about its data and workflows. Um, you know, of course, at the beginning, that's all conceptual. Now in operationalizing CCPA compliance, the exercise remains cross-functional. Um, teams from those same business groups and functions have to get involved um, and they need to be active participants. And so Alex, talking about rights requests, in your work with clients, are you seeing that managing and responding to rights requests indeed brings in team members across multiple business units and functions? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when when you have data that you're collecting, right? It it's, can be sales data that's used for marketing purposes. You might have data for business analytics. Um, there may be research purposes. Uh, so data is coming in and, it, and it's flowing to various different pieces of places in the uh, organization. Um, and so, you know, that creates uh, obviously challenges when you're, when you have to respond to rights requests when data is in multiple different locations. Um, you know, sometimes data can be in downstream systems. So the data came in, there was a sale, and, um, and somebody purchased uh, information, they gave their name, their address, and then that data flowed to another database in the organization for analytics or marketing purposes. And so if you have to then access or delete that data, you have to also map that it is in that other location. Um, so that, you know, that creates some challenges. Um, also, if you have a company with multiple structures, right, you have maybe sub-businesses or brands, maybe it's a holding company, um, you know, in the in media industry, you see this. Um, so one company um, may collect the information, but then other companies within the organization can access that data. And so then the question becomes, how do you respond to rights requests? Uh, when it, data has flowed uh, to many different locations. Yeah, and I think that is probably the struggle of a lot of our clients and a lot of businesses out there is managing that flow of data. And it goes through these various business units and functional teams. And I think that when you talk about, let's say, a deletion request, if a consumer makes a request to delete, like what next, what happens then? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. So you kind of, you have to figure out where the data is. Um, and, and, and some of the issue is, so you, you get data that comes in and um, that, if, if that data um, is then deleted at that moment in time, that means that the data and any 
any kind of information that you've collected has to be removed, but any future data that's collected can be kept. So say you're deleting data from one part of the organization, uh, but you forget to delete data from another place in the organization, that data might flow back and, and you it might repopulate databases because uh, new, it's treated as new data. Uh, so you, you have to kind of make sure that the process recognizes that you know, from, a, from the moment of the deletion request, that, that, that data is deleted appropriately so that moving forward, the business has a sense of what data it's allowed to use. Um, and this also plays into the deletion exceptions. Some of the exceptions apply when there's a relationship with the customer. So for example, if you provide a product or service to a customer, you're not necessarily required to delete their data. But it, that deletion exception can't be applied to all use cases. So if you're deleting data that's used um, for marketing purposes, uh, but you keep it for providing a service or a product, you have to make sure that that data then doesn't flow back to that marketing database later. Um, so those, those are some challenges. Yeah, and I think that conceptually, again, I, I think it all makes sense. You, know, you think about these are the challenges that we have to tackle. And the, I think the, then the nuts and bolts of it is how in the context of an access request, you know, sticking with that, how do you solve for that? You know, how do you, how are companies solving for that problem and managing that? Mm -hmm. So, so a big part of it is training. Um, so making sure that throughout the organization, um, you know, when we respond to an access request, it, it's a, a, a similar process. So, um, you know, maybe if, if the company wants to make the data portable, that all the data kind of conforms to a, sim a similar template um, and uh, looks the same. And, um, and that's a challenge uh, because uh, you have to give clear guidance across the organization um, and the definitions in the CCPA are, are complicated. So explaining some of these, um, these points to, to the business is, is going to uh, necessarily have friction points. Um, some different tools that, that our clients are using. One is the 12-month cutoff. So for access requests, access requests under CCPA, there's a 12-month um, look-back period. So um, if you can cut off data at 12 months, then that significantly reduces the amount of work to pull data to produce to the, to, uh, in, in response to consumer requests. Another is to distinguish between profile data profile being a name or an address or a phone number, which doesn't really have a, a time component and really should be produced. And then, you know, transactional data, which can have a time component of about 12 months. Uh, so you, you want transactions going back 12 months. And then you want to identify any kind of um, elements related to those transactions. Maybe it was a, a purchase that has a monetary value, or um, maybe it was a loyalty program transaction. So there's a points value. Um, so kind of helping the business understand what kinds of data needs to be pulled by putting it into these, these broader buckets. Um, another piece there is, um, or another thing to kind of, that illustrates this point is addresses. Um, you know, a customer, might, a customer might have changed their address or they may um, change their email address. Um, and when you're trying to respond to an access request, 
you have to provide guidance across the organization about which addresses to pr provide. Now, I think it's easy to provide what you have linked to that guest or that consumer or that customer, uh, but um, you know, making sure there's a standard um, process there. Yeah, I mean, I think once, assuming that you as an organization take these steps and you um, create these processes, you can, you, draw the lines right and you sort of bucketize everything right as you said how do you and so you've created the guidance you've um, set the guardrails drilling down even more and getting even more practical how do you translate those instructions to the actual teams that are pulling the data uh, so that they are effectuating the guidelines and and they're operating within the lines and the buckets that have been identified by the organization. Right, so I, I think standards are very important. Um, some companies already have like customer relations or customer service. And so they, they have a good sense of how to standardize uh, communications back to a consumer. Um, so having those processes in place is really important. Um, having uh, clear, information about what you're actually providing back to the consumer. Is it a PDF? Is it an Excel document? How is it organized? Um, is there going to be a confidential label associated with the document? Um, and, you know, an important one is redactions. So uh, if, if you're familiar with FOIA requests, FOIA is the government uh, law that uh, requires producing information to um, the public uh, by, by agencies. There's specific guidelines on when you can redact those responses. Um, and you see similar things in, in other legal contexts. So, uh, you know, under CCPA, there really isn't this discussion about redactions, but, but there is, um, at times, business-sensitive information. So how do you kind of weigh those issues? And as an example, there's a definition in the CCPA of unique personal identifier. Unique personal identifier is a persistent identifier for an individual or a household. Now, I think unique personal identifier comes into the law because of the advertising, uh, online advertising context, in which co uh, consumers might want to know that there's an identifier, uh, you know, a number, a string of numbers or letters that's connected to that consumer uh, that's being used to track them around the internet. But for other companies who also have to provide unique personal identifiers, there may be uh, sensitivities around that. Um, for example, uh, a customer number uh, that the customer may, may or may not know um, and uh, may be linked to various systems in the company. So uh, providing you know, uh, standard guidance on what to do uh, with customer numbers is important. And the CCPA doesn't provide a whole lot of answers, uh, but it is important to uh, set a process so that you don't have some um, parts of the organization redacting and some some not. Yeah, again, it's sort of like bringing all the pieces and all the different team members to some common understanding and and process. And I, uh, it seems to me that this is a this is something that businesses have to tackle regardless of their size, you know, companies of varying sizes are working through this and have in different functions that have to collaborate and coordinate. 
and also, you know, it's, it crosses industries. It's, it's really something that's affecting companies across the board. Um, you know, I, is, I assume that's what you're seeing, Alex, in, in your counseling efforts with, with, with our clients. Absolutely. Um, and, and part of the issue is, is kind of this ramp up for CCPA. It went into effect in January and is being enforced in July. And um, companies need to are seeing a huge increase in, in requests and, and are, and, and, well, I, I should say some companies are, and some companies are seeing very few. And so trying to estimate the number of requests uh, is tricky when you're trying to figure out resources in the organization. Um, you know, I, I have one client where the general counsel is receiving CCPA requests directly and handling those. Um, I have another who has a team dedicated to handling a, a sustained high volume of requests. And uh, you know, when you add an entire team that requires training on compliance topics, um, but then the question is, was that training the right use of resources when volumes can change uh, throughout the year? And uh, we may see that um, you know, ebb and flow um, as CCPA uh, recedes into, into the uh, rear view mirror. So um, you know, we have to kind of uh, figure out what kind of resources to, to put to CCPA requests. Yeah, and so you know whether whether or not you have a company where it's the GC who is handling all the requests, or a, a company that has set a team in place to try to tackle all of this, you know, as we're, we've been talking about, it's it's a cross-functional effort. The data has flowed through different functions throughout the business, um, and I think as companies are thinking about this, regardless of how big the size of that team is, but knowing that the data is coming from the different parts of the business, what are the questions that they should be asking? What are the things that they should really be keeping top of mind um, as they kind of start training whoever it is within the company that's responding to an access request, uh, what the flags are they should be aware of, you know, what are the types of questions they should be asking? Who should they be asking those questions to as, as companies start to figure out the way to train their people who are um, handling the access request? What are the what are the things they need to be thinking about and, and considering and actioning as they move forward? So a, a big kind of area here is deletion exceptions. Um, you know, and, and to identify for data that a company holds, whether the data needs to be um, deleted or not. And I, I think these exceptions are very broad and, and companies really should not be afraid to take advantage of the exceptions, uh, but it's important to uh, work with the, uh, teams across the organization to figure out whether the exceptions apply. Uh, so for one client, what we did was we built a decision tree that says, we think that this data element is subject to deletion and that there are exceptions or there are no exceptions. And then we asked that business to validate our analysis based on their more detailed knowledge of how that data is being used and what the data is. Um, and of course, ultimately legal or compliance teams should validate those decisions. Um, and, um, but but it, you know, it, it helps to have a decision tree and and also to have yes or no questions in that decision tree so that are simple enough to avoid any confusion so that you're, you're 
relying on very clear information from the business. Um, you know, another area uh, to mention is, is retention schedules. So a lot of companies already have retention policies uh, that set out how data is deleted. Uh, they provide the framework for the kinds of data that the company will have about a consumer. And so companies can leverage that and say, if data was supposed to be deleted under the retention schedule, then it should be deleted. It should be presumed to be deleted. Um, and they can use the same processes that are in place for the retention schedule um, and so uh, to delete the data. So understanding whether there's a retention schedule and how that operates um, is really important. Um, and then, you know, another, uh, another piece here is um, being clear when it comes to um, deletion exceptions that, um, you know, that, that some exceptions, that, that exceptions can't be interpreted over broadly. Um, so, you know, if, if a company needs information for, you know, le legal compliance, um, you know, that may be subject to an exception, but drilling down and understanding what those, those needs are, um, you can't necessarily keep information just for any kind of litigation requirement. Um, it has to be a specific um, response to, to the deletion exception. Thank you, Alex. I, uh, you know, Carmen, we, as Alex is talking about this and he's talking about, you know, the flow of data and all of the, the many teams within a business that are taking in data and handling that data, um, you know, I think in turn, another thorny issue that arises in the context of vendor agreements. And, you know, those groups are, they each in turn, use vendors and then the organization as a whole at an enterprise level might use a vendor that helps to manage all of that data um, to use it to track it sometimes to monetize it so when we talk about operationalizing ctpa compliance and we look at it in the context of vendor agreements as a practical matter what is the first step a company has to take I assume that it's going to be uh, getting your arms around the list of vendors that are used by all these different groups um, and maybe even getting copies of those current contracts, but sort of trying to wrap your arms around that. Is that, is that, the, is that the first step? Right, yeah. So exactly as you mentioned, the first step is understanding the universe of vendors that the company is using. So we talked about this a little bit with regards to the requests, but this is done with a data map normally, which is used to capture just the full scope of personal information um, that is applicable to the target audience. So sometimes the data map will cover all personal information processing, other times it'll be specific to the personal information processing applicable to California residents. Um, but as Alex also alluded to, this requires cooperation from multiple teams and that requires some education of what um, the law includes. So for example, um, educating um, IT teams that are going to be 
searching the system and identifying the pieces of information that are held by each vendor in each system, well, those IT teams need to know the broad definition of personal information, particularly under the CCPA, because it is such a broad definition. It's not um, immediately obvious what pieces of information would fall under that scope. So we need to identify those pieces of information. We need to include those in the data map. Then we need to determine which vendors have access to the personal information. So what we're really trying to get to is this threshold question of whether the vendor is a service provider or a third party. And that's really not always straightforward or easy. So the CCPA has a definition of sale that is very broad. And again, this might require some discussions with the team to really educate the teams on what it means to have a sale. This is something that may not be immediately obvious if we think of sale only in terms of monetizing personal information, but it includes most disclosures of personal information in exchange for, well, I'm going to use quotes here, valuable consideration. And again, this could be incredibly broad. So under the CCPA, to categorize a vendor as a service provider, there need to be contract terms in place that limit the retention, use, and disclosure of personal information. All other vendors will be considered third parties. And when we're reviewing these contracts that we've pulled after we make the data map and we determine which vendors have access to which personal information, and we take the contracts, if there are any, we take the contracts and we review the vendor's representations about how they use the data. And again, we're looking for those key terms, limit of retention, use, and disclosure. And we want to be careful particularly about the vendor's representations around how they plan to use the personal information to improve their own services. This is particularly a challenging topic um, as the Attorney General proposed regulations have not been finalized. As of the latest draft, service providers can use personal information to improve their services as long as the personal information is not used to improve or augment consumer profiles. So that's just a discussion that you're going to want to have with your vendor. When we're looking at the contract terms, sometimes we don't know immediately where those contract terms are, and we have to look at publicly available information. So we can review publicly available disclosures. Oftentimes, vendors that are dealing with CCPA often will have some kind of data protection addendum or a service provider statement on their website. We can certainly review those. We just want to make sure that if there is a contract in place between the business and the vendor, that the contract terms don't supersede those publicly available terms. So it's a lot of review, it's a lot of contract review, and like Alex was talking about, it's really a lot of coordination across much, a bunch of different teams. Yeah, no, I, I think that that's um, definitely the theme of the day. And so let's say you do kind of sort through the agreement, the vendors, you identify them, you determine either through the contracts themselves or perhaps looking at the um, publicly available information you that certain provisions are in fact going to have to be negotiated or renegotiated with a given vendor 
um, what are some of the speed bumps and, and challenges that you are seeing uh, clients grapple with and, and helping them to, to work through? Yeah, so the first uh, hurdle I would say to get over is the idea of clear representation. So that's making sure that both the business and the vendor have a good understanding of what the CCPA covers and what the CCPA necessitates for service providers. We don't, we want to make sure that the vendor is not making a representation that goes against other representations that they've made regarding personal information. So let me give you an example because that's a confusing sentence. Occasionally what we'll see is a client, a client's vendor making a representation that it complies with the service provider restrictions to retain, use, and disclose. But separately, maybe on its website or in a separate addendum, it's making a representation that it's a controller under GDPR for European personal information. Those are pretty conflicting. And so we're going to want to ask for additional information to confirm that the vendor really is a service provider and is not just tacking on these words into their contract because they because um, it would benefit them to be categorized as a service provider. So that's the first thing that we really, really want to make sure everyone is on the same page about and that the, the representations are not only contained in the contract, but also true to the services. We also see a lot of liability um, provisions coming up. Occasionally, vendors will attempt to renegotiate the liability in their broader contract, whether that's a data protection contract or a services contract, when they are negotiating CCPA provisions. This is a business decision that's really up to the client, but often if the terms of the original agreement were favorable to the business, we try not to renegotiate these liability provisions just for CCPA. And then the last thing that we are seeing quite a lot of is discussions around the request procedures. So this is tying back to what Alex was talking about before with rights requests. We often find that during the negotiation process, this is the best time to clarify the rights request procedures that the vendor has and the vendor will require. So for example, that means how the business maybe can pass along a deletion request, how the vendor will pass a deletion request back to the business. We wanna make sure that the business has the most leverage to ensure that their process and the vendor's expectations align because down the line, this can be quite frustrating, especially given the time limits to respond to requests. So we really wanna make sure that this is hammered out in the negotiation stage. And then the last thing that I'll just mention here is we really wanna make sure that our clients, businesses, vendors, we're all staying on top of this ever-shifting landscape we really encourage reviewing relevant contract terms at least once a year. This is particularly important given that the Attorney General still hasn't um, finalized the regulations. So we're really gonna wanna make sure that representations align with those regulations when they're released. And this is particularly important if we are relying on publicly available terms. These terms may change. Um, we've seen shifting representations in the past year, both due to increased awareness of CCPA obligations 
and the changing attorney general regulations. So we're just gonna wanna make sure to check back frequently, especially as this awareness comes forward. So thank you for listening to this episode of the Ad Law Access Podcast. For more information, please visit our Advertising and Privacy Law Resource Center available at kellydry.com or visit our blog at adlawaccess.com.